Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church podcast. Here at No Limits, we are on a mission to make a difference in the lives of others. We want to help people know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. It's a journey, and we're all walking it together. So wherever you're listening from, we pray that you are encouraged and empowered by this week's message. So today we're going to dive into 2 Peter chapter 1, because in that chapter, Peter explains how we access all of God's promises. It's really awesome. Let's just start in verse 3 here. It says, By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for, to li- for living a godly life. Come on, that's good. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the one who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. So now I want you to know something you've been lied to. I'm talking about all those preachers who say, you know, although we're saved, we're going to sin every day for the rest of our lives. Lie. They're lying to you. We're no longer sinners. We're made righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. The power of God lives in us, and he's given us everything we need for living a godly life. Can I get an amen? We have responsibility. Amen. But where does this come from? The scripture said it comes from knowing Christ. And this is really simple. As soon as you put your faith in Jesus, you become a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. Amen. So let me read this, read this again and let's keep going. So it said, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. You don't have to sin every day. I want you to remember that. You don't have to. You can live a godly life. God's given you everything you need. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Amen. Notice it says that we received, did you all catch that? We received God's power that enables us to live godly lives, and we have been given great and precious promises. What does that mean about both of those things? They're both a gift. We've received them, it's been given. God's power and God's promises are both given to us through Christ. We didn't earn it, it's all a gift through Jesus Christ. So what happens when we receive God's promises? Why is it important that we live in God's promises? Because it enables us to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption. Does that sound like a good life to anybody? So in other words, we used to look like the world. We used to think like the world. We used to act like the world. But now we look like God. We think like God and we act like God. You see, we used to participate in the world's economic downturns downturns, and their like deadly pandemics and all that stuff going on in the world. But now we live in God's provision and God's protection and God's healing. That's what it means when we share in his divine nature to have any takers for sharing in his divine nature. So in view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. You mean they don't just show up automatically? I actually have to do something to see God's promises in my life? Yes, it says make every effort to respond to God's promises. You're going to have to put in consistent effort if you want to see the promises of God in your life. But wait, I mean, I thought they were all a gift, right? Like, I'm really getting messed up here. Didn't we just say they were, they were a gift? Now i got to put in effort? Well, they are a gift. All of God's promises are available to you, but you have to put in the effort to access them. God has given you the key to the door. 
so you can walk into God's promises, but you have to put in the effort to use the key and open up the door and walk into the mansion of God's promises. And get this, you have to be in the mansion to live in God's promises. You can't be outside. So you're either living in the world or you're living in God's promises, but you can't do both. Can't do both. So every one of God's promises is available to you. They're all available to you. If you want to access them, you're going to have to put in the effort. Is anybody excited that I'm here to tell you to get to work today? Put in the effort. And thankfully, Peter made it clear. What does this effort look like? What are we supposed to do? Does anybody ever ask God that? Like, what do you want me to do? He's going to tell you today through the scripture. Amen. He gives us seven things that we need to work on in order to access God's promises. But first, I want you to repeat this after me. I'm not working to earn God's promises. I'm working to access them. There's a big difference, right? Think of God's promises like a field that's ready for harvest. You didn't cause that stuff to grow. The earth did that, right? But you get to go out and partake in the harvest if you put in the work to bring in the harvest. So let's go through the seven things we need to do to access all of God's great and precious promises. He says, supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. All right, back to verse one of that. Or actually, this is verse five. Supplement your faith with And then it goes on. So before we dive into these, I want you to notice that it all starts with your faith in Christ. None of this will work if you don't believe in Jesus as Lord of your life. And there's no special prayer that you have to say. You simply believe that God raised Jesus from the dead to provide salvation for you. And you wake up every day saying, Jesus is my Lord. I am following him and nobody else. And if you haven't done that already, don't delay because there will be a day that it's too late. If you don't make Jesus the Lord of your life, you will spend eternity in hell. There's no exceptions. That's the plain truth. So once you've established your faith in Christ, the next step you need to do is pursue moral excellence. As the scripture said, supplement your faith in Christ with a generous provision of moral excellence. Wow. I mean, now we know why so many people are not living in God's promises because they haven't taken this first step yet. They're living the lie that moral excellence is irrelevant. They're sleeping around. They're watching trash on TV. They're living a homosexual lifestyle. They're consumed with themselves. They're tied up in greedy living. They're gossiping. They're cussing like a sailor. I mean, you can find plenty of people that will tell you, your choices don't matter once you come to Christ. But Scripture disagrees with everybody who says that. And you'll find out in a bit that when you don't pursue these seven things that we're talking about today, you run the risk of falling away from your faith. We're going to get into that here in a little bit. But step one, pursue moral excellence. The next step, study the word of God daily. So it said, and moral excellence, add to that knowledge. That's talking about knowledge of the word of God. But I want you to notice before we move on that all these, all these things go together. It's not like you get to move on from one to the other. We're like making a sandwich here, all right? We're stacking this up. So on top of moral excellence, we're going to add knowledge, not a college degree, right? We're talking about increasing our knowledge of God by studying his word. If you don't study the word for yourself, 
you're going to believe all the stupid stuff that people say these days about God and about Jesus. As you know, I wrote a book titled Jesus Ain't Woke, and because of that, I get frequent messages from people that say, you are so wrong. Jesus is the most woke person that ever lived because he loved people. My response to that is always, I recommend you go read the Gospel of John for yourself because I imagine you're going to find out Jesus isn't who you thought he is, but you're going to meet him for who he is, and it's going to be powerful. Y'all, Jesus didn't come for social justice. He came to destroy the works of Satan. He came to free you from sin and sickness. He came to give you God's righteousness. Not once did Jesus tolerate sin. Go find it for me. You're not going to find it. Not once did he say, just do what you feel because I love you anyway. He never said that. He said, I love you, so I'm going to die for you to help you out of that mess and to free you from sin. All right, let's keep building our sandwich. We got moral excellence. On top of that, we're going to study the Word of God daily. And here's what's next. Practice self-control. All right, let's talk about this. When do we need (laughs) self-control? Every day. When our flesh wants to do something that is not beneficial in the long term. You see, we've already dealt with the sin issue. We already talked about moral excellence. So when he talks about self-control here, he's not talking about dealing with sin. He's talking about something else. We're talking about the things that are permissible, but not beneficial. That's when you need self-control. For example, food. All right. You eat one donut and your flesh says, have another. Self-control says, no, one's enough. And I'm not going to do that again for several weeks, right? Another example is TV or video games. Your flesh says, let's sit for hours every night in front of the screen. Self-control says, no, we got more better things to do, right, with our time. One more, at work, your flesh says, don't work too hard. They're only paying you by the hour, and they're not paying you enough anyway. Self-control says, I'm working as unto the Lord, and I'm going to put in my best effort. Well, that was a fun one. The next one's even more fun. Remain patient through trials and sufferings. So, and self-control, we're adding patient endurance, is what the scripture said. And we're not talking about what we need whenever we're in rush hour traffic on 169 when they're closing down one of the lanes and people don't know how to merge. (laughs) We're not talking about that. What we're talking about is when you go shopping at Walmart. (laughs) All kidding aside, most of the time, when the Bible talks about patience... It's talking about enduring through trials and sufferings that you're going to go through because of your faith in Christ. Did you know you're going to have trials and sufferings because of your faith in Christ? That's good news, isn't it? Not many pastors talk about that, especially in America. We have to paint Christianity as this super awesome thing where you never have any struggles. But the reality is Christianity is not a walk in the park. There are going to be challenges. There is going to be suffering. Certain people are going to hate you. Somebody at church is going to make you mad. It's going to hurt your feelings. It's not easy. But the outcome is worth it. Remaining patient through your trials and sufferings is how you access the promises of God. It leads you to a place where you share in his divine nature. You can't do it unless you develop this patient endurance. You can't skip this one. It's part of the sandwich, y'all. So quit running from the challenges. Don't give up. Don't blame it on God. Just remain patient. There will be breakthrough. There will be breakthrough. 
and I'm going to come out stronger on the other side. I'm not saying the suffering seasons are fun, but in the end, they're worth it. All right, let's move on to the next one. Develop reverence towards God. So it said, and patient endurance, we're going to add godliness. And if you don't dive into these words, you think godliness. We must be talking about sin again. No, we already dealt with the sin issue with moral excellence. So we're talking about something else here. You look up the original Greek word translated to godliness, and here's what you find out that it means. Reverence and respect towards God. American culture has trained us to think that God owes us something. Along with everybody else, everybody owes me something. Pay up, come on. A common mindset is, God, I'll serve you if you do this for me. I'll show up to church if I can get something from the church. I don't think there's a more destructive mindset than to think that God only deserves your attention if he plays by your rules and gives you what you want. Gives you what you want. God is God. He created us. He can wipe us all out. Right now. We could all be a puddle of grease on the floor right now if he wanted to do it. He doesn't have to explain to us why he does certain things. He owes us nothing. We owe him everything. And even with our everything, it's not even enough to earn his attention. Yet he loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to save our butts from eternity in hell. God is to be respected. Yes, he's our heavenly father and he is the perfect father. And he's awesome. But we must honor him as the one who brought us into existence and the one who cares for us along the way. Develop reverence towards God. Don't be like those fools in the world who disrespect their parents, disrespect authority, disrespect God. You have to throw that mindset in the trash and develop a reverence towards God. Man, we're making quite the sandwich here. This is really good. Number six, develop a love for those in the body of Christ. So it said, and with godliness, we're going to add brotherly affection. And you know, for several decades, the church has talked about a lot about loving the world. We've designed our church services to make them comfortable. We stopped talking about sin. We neglected spiritual gifts. All in the name of love for the world, right? All of this had good intentions. We truly wanted to reach people for Christ. But since our strategy was unbiblical, what it turned into is us just wanting acceptance from the world. We just wanted to fit in with the world. And acceptance is how the world defines love. Y'all caught on to that? According to them, you only love somebody if you accept everything about them. Nowhere in Scripture will you find love defined as acceptance. Actually, God's love refuses to accept sinful behavior because it destroys people. And love does not advocate for someone's destruction. That doesn't even make sense, right? But the point I'm trying to make is that our love focus has been on the world, loving the world and getting their acceptance. Yet in the Bible, you're going to find out that our love for each other always comes first. Always comes first. It's shocking. Over and over, Scripture tells us, love your brothers and sisters. Every time it says that, it's talking about loving the body of Christ. Even Jesus, when he gave that new commandment that everybody likes to use about love, what did he say? Love God and love each other. Each other. But now most Christians slander the body of Christ while they pursue the love of the world and act like it's some kind of righteousness. It's foolishness. 
If you haven't first developed a sincere love for the body of Christ, you will not be able to love the world with a biblical kind of love. You can't do it. Instead, you're going to adopt, adopt their fake love and think you're loving people with this inclusion and acceptance nonsense. Love for the body of Christ comes first. Love your brothers and sisters. Be patient with their faults. Y'all, we have some faults in here. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to say things that we shouldn't say. We got to be patient with each other. We got to be truthful with each other. And we got to serve each other well. So this is what enables us to wrap it all up by developing a love for everyone. And with brotherly affection, a love for everyone. I want you to notice how many things came before love as we were building our sandwich. Did you notice that? Why do we have so many Christians who think they can abandon all those first five things we talked about in the name of love? They think we can't have righteousness and moral excellence and love. According to this scripture, you can't even get to a place of loving others until you sorted out those first five things. It's not that they're more important. They're just a prerequisite to truly knowing how to love. Moral excellence, knowledge of God and his word, self-control, patient endurance, reverence towards God. All of these things have to be in place before you can effectively love others. And even then, you must develop a love for the body of Christ before you can develop a love for everybody in the world. There's so many people out there who think they're loving people and they don't have those five things in place. They're far from it. And then we take our cues on how to love from that. Take your cues from how to love from the Word of God. So what's the end result when we implement all of these seven things that Peter listed? Well, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the more you grow in these things, the more productive and useful you are for the kingdom of God. In other words, the more people you're going to lead to Christ. It turns out loving people is not all you need to lead people to Christ. You also need moral excellence. You need the word of God. You need self-control. You need patient endurance. And you need a reverence towards God. But what happens if you don't do these things? But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things, and you will never fall away. If you don't develop these seven things, not only will you be worthless for leading somebody else to Christ, but you yourself might just fall away from your faith in Christ. Let me repeat that. If you don't do these seven things, not only will you be worthless for leading anybody else to Christ, but you yourself might fall away from your faith in Christ. There is no once saved, always saved. Let me make some new enemies this morning, right? There isn't. At any point in your life, you can choose to reject Christ. There also is no losing your salvation. You can't misplace it, y'all. You don't just lose it. Like, where did it go? But it is something you can intentionally walk away from. You make the choice to do it. You're not saved because you said a prayer one Sunday at church. You're saved because you wake up every day and you say, Jesus Christ, you're the Lord of my life, and I will follow you. Confess with your mouth, right? It didn't say just one time. Every day, wake up and confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ, you are my Lord. So for some of you today, these things are simply a reminder. You're like, yes, 
I love this. That's what I do. And it's good for me to remind you of these things every chance that I get. But for others, maybe you found somewhere today that you need to apply effort. Maybe you had some moral issues that need to be cleaned up. Get them cleaned up. God's given you the power to do that. You don't got to waller in your shame. You don't got to do any of that. Just get it cleaned up. He'll help you. Maybe you need to prioritize the word of God. He'll help you with that too. And the more you get into it, the more exciting it comes, the more life it brings to you. It's just, you just want to start getting up earlier to get more of the word in your life. Maybe self-control is something you need to work on. Woo, anybody want to say amen to that? It's time to stop letting your flesh control you. Flip the script. Show your flesh who's boss. It's you. You need to recognize yourself as who you are. You're a spirit that lives in this fleshly body. Don't let your flesh control you. Show it who's boss. And you show it who's boss by denying it, by the way, from what it wants. Maybe you're going through some trials and sufferings right now. And you're tempted to give up. Don't do it. Don't give up. Continue developing your patient endurance. Now, maybe you've been too lighthearted towards God, and you need to develop that reverence towards God. And once you have these things sorted out, your love walk just kind of falls into place, as it should. You'll love everyone with a true biblical love, starting with the body of Christ. It just kind of bubbles up from within you. You're like, that person is kind of hard to love, but for some reason, I can still love them. Like, I don't know where this comes from. It comes from Christ. <laughs> And not only that, but you're going to find yourself accessing God's promises because you've finally taken that key that he gave you, put in the effort to open up the door and walk into that mansion of God's promises. So if you're having a hard time accessing God's promises, if you're listening to the testimonies week after week and you're like, well, how do I get some of that? How do I get into God's promises? Now you know. Maybe it wasn't as fun as you hoped that it would be. But this is what works. This is how it works. And I can look back in my life and how I've worked through all seven of these things. And it happened in order. So begin to work on these things. Go ahead and bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you for your word and that you show us exactly what we need to do. And not only that, but you give us the power that we need to do the things that you ask us to do. So I declare over this church that they will rise up and get all of these things taken care of. They'll build the most delicious sandwich that anybody's ever seen. They will walk these things out. They're going to put in the consistent effort into these things and see the promises of God manifest in their life beyond their wildest imagination, just like you said in your word in Ephesians. You want to bless us. You want to do things in our lives beyond what we can even ask or think. And like Darla said today, it's that covenant. There's two sides to the covenant. You've just been waiting on us to do our part. We've never been waiting on you. You can definitely teach us about patient endurance because we give you a lot of opportunities to practice that, right? We've never been waiting on you. You've always been waiting on us. Wow. So we choose today 
to follow your word, to do your word, to put in the effort, to do what it takes, and to trust you, and to trust your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's a good word. That all came from 2 Peter chapter 1. So if you're uh, one of those that needs to get into the word more often, just go start there. Read that chapter because it's it's beautiful. Then just keep reading because the whole book is awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. And a special thanks to those that give in to our ministry. It's because of your generous giving that we're able to lead people to Jesus and make a difference all around the world. If you're ready to give, head to your browser and type nolimits.fyi into the address bar. And if you were encouraged by this podcast, then hit that share button and pass it on so that others can be encouraged as well. Or you can even take a screenshot and share it on your social stories. Thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.